Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And if we love him, we want to hear this message today entitled, Bringing People to Jesus. Bringing People to Jesus. If you found that, Mark chapter 2, let's stand together and read a very familiar story this morning. It begins, when he, that's Jesus, when he entered Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together, let me say it, start over, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves, why did he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves and said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up, picked up the stretcher, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will speak through your word. I pray that you'll speak through your messenger. And I pray that you'll hide me behind the cross. And I pray that you'll remove me, that your word can be heard today. I pray that you'll speak your word in a manner that will pierce our hearts and draw us closer to you. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Everybody likes a good story. Everybody likes a good story. We like a story with a happy ending. Here we just saw a story where a man came in who was paralyzed. That means he couldn't walk, couldn't move, couldn't do anything for himself. And he, at the end of the story, gets to walk away, and he's got enough strength to carry his stretcher. Boy, what a good! it doesn't matter what the good story is. It can be a love story where the two people in love ultimately get away. It can be a, a cops and robbers thing where ultimately the bad guy goes to prison and everybody is okay and, and the crime stops. It doesn't matter. We just love a good story. It can be the fairy tales of the happily ever after. We just love good stories. And I think today this is one of those good stories. And we're told that Jesus was in the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, if you read in, in a, any uh, extra Bible commentaries, Capernaum was said to be Jesus' town. Now, obviously, we get some hint from the Scripture here where it says he was at home. 
So perhaps it was his town. I'll not argue that point one way or another. What I will tell you is that he came into town. Word got out that he was in town, <clears throat> that he was probably going to do some teaching. And so the standing room, the crowd uh, became so large it was standing room only. The doorways were filled. The uh, windows were filled. There were crowds around the outside. It kind of reminds me like, uh, I'm about to date myself, Teenagers, you don't know anything like about this, but we used to have what was called tent meetings. We'd put a tent up in a community. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I heard that back there. Tent meetings where you just came in, you could smell the sawdust, the old Hammond organ, and uh, uh, it was just a wonderful time, just a great crowd. That's kind of like the... Uh, the situation where Jesus was teaching this day. People had crowded in probably from miles around, and the Scripture says he was teaching the message. Now, what message was that? That was the message that Jesus came out of the wilderness from being tempted teaching. That was the message that he taught his entire three years of ministry. It is a message of repentance. If you never hear any other message that Jesus calls us to, he calls us to repent. You see, because Jesus knows about us what we refuse to know about ourselves, and that is that we're sinners. And sin separates us from God, and we will never make heaven. We will never see God on friendly terms until we repent. He preached a message of repentance. He preached a message of healing. When people came to him, they were healed. When he preached a, mess he preached a message of hope. When they came to him, they heard a message of hope. His message was a message of life. So can you get this picture? Can you kind of get a snapshot in your mind of what's going on? Jesus was at home in the house. He started teaching. The crowds gathered. And so if you can close your eyes or just in your mind's eye, if you can picture it, this, crowd, this house is surrounded by people. There's no way in and out. It's filled to capacity. Everybody's just standing around. And all of a sudden, there is a small clamor outside that's unknown to Jesus. Now what has happened is that Four guys have showed up carrying a cot of a man who's paralyzed. And they couldn't get in. Have you ever thought about why they couldn't get in? They couldn't bring their friend to see Jesus because people wouldn't get out of the way. In my sanctified imagination... I can imagine them walking up there and going, excuse me, this man really needs to see Jesus. Would you let us by? No. You don't know how long I've been here. Nope, I just got here and I'm not relinquishing this. You know, it doesn't matter whether it was self-centeredness, selfishness, haughtiness, or pride, or whether they were just purely mean. Those folks would not get out of the way of these four men bringing their friend to see Jesus. They knew. They looked at the house. They saw the attitude of the people, and they knew that they couldn't get him to Jesus that way. When I read this story and I think about people standing in the way of these four bringing a friend to Jesus, what burns in my heart what prayer utters from my lips, Lord, am I one of those people standing in the way of somebody getting to Jesus? Now, if you're a real Pharisee, you probably said, yeah, Brother Jerry, you really are. 
And if you just think you knew how bad I am, I'm glad you don't. Because I know me. I probably am. But listen, for every eye that's cast on me, just know that there's an eye of fire looking in your heart. Do you stand in the way of anybody coming to Jesus? Have they heard you say something so nasty or so cruel? Have they seen an attitude so ungodly that they would never come to Jesus? That's another message for another time. People would not get out of the way. And so what the four, what the four men decided, you know, they would not be denied. They, they were going to get him to Jesus. So they sat back and they said, okay, now, we can't go the regular way. So how are we going to get him to Jesus? And so nobody really knows all the options that they chose or they, they considered. But finally, a decision was made. They were going to take this guy up on the roof. And they were going to tear a hole in the roof. And then they were going to let him down. And in my, in my finite mind, I guess this is the country boy in me, I'm trying to think of the obstacles they're facing. At least three that I, can, that I named just off the top of my head. First of all, they had to get this guy up on the roof if they were going to lure him down from the roof. I know a little bit about packaging dead weight to get it anywhere, to get it through cracks and crevices. So they had to tie him on there pretty securely. Then they had to have the ropes, and they could use the same ropes to get him up as they were going to let him down. And then once they got him up on the roof, and they had the ropes, and they're ready to lay him down, <coughs> lower him down, they had to break through the roof. In other words... These four men, <clears throat> if they were going to get this man who needed to see Jesus, if they were going to get him to Jesus, it was going to take some real work. Hello? It's going to take some real work, some focused attention. And again, my heart is stirred when I think about these four men. Are you listening? They stopped at nothing. To get this man to Jesus. And too often you and I are stopped by nothing. From getting people to Jesus. You see sometimes it takes. Real work and real commitment. <clears throat> but now in case you think that the preacher's throwing off on us today. I'm trying to get us to come face to face with some things. Such as that we're expected to bring people to Jesus. If we know Jesus. Sometimes it takes real work. But now look, the reason that they focused their attention and they brought him to Jesus, does that make them good and us bad? Does that make them spiritual and us not? Does that make us love God and does that make them care and us not? I don't think so. I want to suggest to you as we read this story, I want to suggest to you that these men saw some things that we're going to have to see. They saw some things that we generally do not see. Now you can flip over to the back of your bulletin. If you want to keep score, and it says, and it's, and it's blank, blank. I'm going to tell you the second blank says uh, out. We don't have to see out. It should be our. So I'm going to just tell you that before we get there, okay? Our instead of out. I want us to see three things that, that these guys saw that we have to see if we're going to bring people to Jesus. First of all, we need to see the need. We must see the need. 
These four men saw that this paralyzed guy... Now, you know what a paralytic is. That means he's probably a quadriplegic. That means he could do nothing on his own. These four guys, they saw their friend's greatest need was Jesus. They understood that Jesus held the answer to every need that he had. Their friend had physical needs. He had practical needs. He had personal needs. And he had eternal needs. And all of these needs could only be met by Jesus. Folks, we need to see that's true in the 21st century. People's greatest need still is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For these men, they knew something had to be done. I'm reminded of um, John 1, where Philip came and met Jesus. And then he went and found Nathaniel. And he said, I think we found the Messiah. And he's from Nazareth. And you know what? Nathaniel, he was less than convinced. He said, Can any good thing come from Nazareth? These folks understood the need. They saw the neat need. I'm not going to suggest this to you. I'm going to submit it to you today. I submit to you that in the church, the average church, we're one. I'm going to suggest in the average church today that we don't see the need. And you know why? Because it seems to this preacher that among our students, that among our adults, that there has invaded the church, the average pew, the average believer, what I call a belief in creeping universalism. That means we've kind of bought in because we've been so blessed by God. We've bought in to this, this universal concept that Somehow, some way, and in some fashion, everybody's going to make it to heaven. And we don't have to be bothered. We don't have to get upset. We don't have to be concerned. Somehow, some way, in some fashion, everybody's going to make it to heaven. And I say that for this reason. How many bedsides have I stood beside as a loved one took their final breath? And the family all loves God, but they know that that person has not ever done anything to show their repentance, to show their love for Christ or their trust in Christ. And they look at me with tears in their eyes and, Preacher, tell us that our loved one's going to be okay. Surely they will not wind up in a place called hell. And it doesn't matter whether it's a sibling, a spouse, a parent, an offspring or whoever, people want to know that their loved one is okay over there, but if they didn't make any provisions over here, they won't be okay over there. I always get in trouble with a message like this because let me just tell you something. According to this book, good old boys don't necessarily make it to heaven. Good daddies... Men who provide for their families. Men who are faithful to their families. Women who are good mothers. People who are good workers. Folks, we cannot be good enough to get into heaven. We cannot meet the standard that God has for us to get to heaven. And here's what I want to say to you. Every person on earth from the time they reach of the age of accountability where they understand it to the time that they die 
They are on their way to a place called hell unless and until there is a cogent, a cognitive change of direction spurred on by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see that need today? Do you look around you and you see people who need Jesus? Or honestly, does it never register in your mind? Does it ever burn in your heart that they need Jesus? Have you thought about what Jesus did for you? And by the way, that is a real test of whether you've been saved or not. Because if you can't put anything, you can't put your finger on anything that Jesus did for you. Chances are you never met Jesus. Because of Jesus, I know he never walks into a life and leaves us like we are. He comes in and changes us from the inside out. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about that one person in your life. And there could be more, but I don't you narrow it down to one. That one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus. That one person that if you're honest before God, you would say, as far as I know, if they died right now, they would not ever walk through the pearly gates. They would never walk down the streets of gold. We may have somebody in this room that says, I don't have to think about somebody else. That's me. Here's the thing. Jesus came and he lived and he died. He walked for you. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He who comes to me will in no wise be cast out. Jesus offers abundant life here on earth. That means life to the fullest. Listen, teenagers, you think all your friends and all of them have the life to the fullest. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you want to really enjoy life, give your life to Jesus, and he's going to bring more joy to you than you can ever imagine. And I haven't said that. I will tell you, when I was a teenager, I thought the preacher was lying to me. What you do right now, teenagers, what you do right now is going to plague you the rest of your life. If you make a determination to be sexually immoral, you've always, you'll always have given yourself to someone who really don't care about you. And you can't ever get it back. You can't ever undo it. Choose, your, choose to, to go the way of alcohol and drugs. You may lose your life before it ever gets started. I'll just tell you this. No one has ever died of abstinence. Hello? I mean, the TV will tell you you will. Nobody's ever died of abstinence. Nobody's ever died because they didn't try the latest, greatest drug. But I can tell you, people have died because they had sex one time. I remember the student evangelist telling it years ago, and David, I may get this wrong. Jerry, you've probably heard it. <laughs> Gal had been, a, been walking with the Lord most of her life. She is now 17. And before she graduated high school, she wanted to go to spring break. She was a virgin. She had not given herself to any other guy. She got down at spring break, and she met Mr. Wonderful. Connected up, I think, somewhere around the middle of the week. He began to nudge her toward a, 
a sexual relationship and kept putting him off, putting him off. Finally, she gave in. They spent the night together. The next morning, she woke up, and he was not there. She walked into the bathroom, and there was a little present there. And she opened the present, and there was a note in it, and there's a little bitty casket in there. And the note said, I'm on a plane leaving. Just wanted to say goodbye. Welcome to the world of AIDS. One time. You see, folks, when you give your life to Christ, you're not in any danger. One teenage girl asked her grandmother, said, What did y'all use for safe sex when you were my age? And she said, A wedding ring. One man for one woman. Folks, you see, when you know Jesus, it protects you. If we're going to bring people to Jesus, we have to see their need of Jesus. Because only in Jesus will they find forgiveness. And I could go on all day about our need of Jesus. But folks, here's where the water, gets, here's where the water meets the wheel. If we see that people need Jesus, the second thing we must see, like these men saw, we must see our part. We must see our part. You see, folks, when we, once we recognize our need, our need to, to reach people and because we recognize their need for Jesus, what you will come to understand is that you have a part in it. Have you thought about this? Four men, one bed. You know why? There are four corners on that bed. There are four corners on that bed. And if they were going to get him to Jesus through the crowd... Everybody had to carry his little corner, his little edge. Can you imagine how different this story would have turned out if when they got to that crowd, now you listen, now listen for those of you who start something and don't finish. Can you imagine what happens? They got to the crowd and they got a little resistance. A couple of them go, I didn't sign on for this. I'm going back home. This is taking too long. I got a ball game to watch on TV. Demanded this, this taking more energy than I thought it would take. Do you understand, folks, that very few people get to Jesus by one person bringing them? It's normally a group effort. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul affirms that. He says, I planted and Apollos watered. Almost everybody that comes to know the Lord comes as a joint effort. Somebody speaks a word. Somebody's kind to them. Somebody mentions the name of Jesus. And with every step along the way, they find themselves getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. I'll give you for instance. I passed by J.D. Taylor a while ago, and I said, I'm using you this morning, and it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to get permission, so I'm not telling you what I'm saying. Monday night, J.D. and I went out visiting. Had a great time. Visited a, a wonderful family. And in fact, J.D. knows everybody in the country, so he knew them before we got there. But on our way out, or, or coming back, he was telling me, he said, You know, Brother Jerry said, I was in a McDonald's the other day, and I had a little Kaylee. Now, if you want a conversation piece, get you a bit. No, I'm teasing. Don't. But you know what I'm talking about. You go walk in some place with a baby, and everybody talks to you. 
He said, I, was, I, had, I had Kaylee in there and said, this young couple walked up to me and we started talking. And he said, just in the natural flow of things, I said, where y'all attending church? As I recall, he said, they said, oh, we're looking for a place. We don't have a church home right now. We're looking. And you know how easy that was? You know, we're, you know we've discovered on Monday night visitation. Now, just draw, can you draw your, I know you don't all live right in here, but you draw your circle. I will even expand it a little bit from, uh, um, uh, from the ball field over here to the uh, um, elementary school over here to uh, uh, Crescent Circle back here. Just in this small of area, you will be stunned. At how many people our men walk into and go, are you, are you attending church somewhere now? They go, no, we're looking. No, we're looking. And here's what I'm going to say to you. How sad is it that we have all these tentacles in this community and we don't see any of them here yet? I dare say that some of them are the very people that you interface with every day. Tom Rainer tells us that if we'll invite people, Three out of ten or more will come. If we'll just invite them. We're not talking about giving them a theological treatise. This next month, please listen, this next month is your greatest opportunity to bring people into the Lord's house under the Lord's word. 40th anniversary, four Sundays in a row, all you have to do is invite people. How would it be if you invited somebody, you know, we have Dr. Rick Lance coming on February the 19th. We're celebrating 40th anniversary here. We got Lee Prater coming, or we got Brother Billy Hatley coming, or our pastor is preaching. And you see one day, well, come and, and celebrate the month with us. Come just, just one Sunday. What would it be like if you extended an invitation like that and they came and heard the gospel and they got saved? Would you feel like you were carrying one corner of the cot? I believe the only way that we'll ever see our need and that we'll ever see our part in this process is if we, before we get started, if we can see the result. If we can see the result, number three. Now, what was the result for this young man? We don't know how long he had been paralyzed. We know that he'd been long enough. We know he'd been paralyzed long enough that people were concerned about him. And they chose to bring him to Jesus. If you look there, you can see that at least three miracles. First of all, his body was healed. No small, no small thing. Jesus healed his body. But Jesus didn't just take care of his needs in time. He took care of his needs in eternity because he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. What kind of Messiah would Jesus have been if he had come into a man's life and healed him physically and left him to die for all eternity? Jesus doesn't do work like that. He doesn't do things halfway. When you are brought to Jesus, 
when you respond to Jesus, He'll meet every need that you have. I said need, I didn't say want. Some people come to Jesus and they want Alexis. Well, that's not a that's not a need. You have a need the need is transportation. Jesus can meet that need with a bicycle. You see, when we come to Jesus, he responds to us. And oh, by the way, can I just give you a little clue about something? If God's begun to speak to your heart today, that's the first step. When he begins to speak to your heart, now is the time. Because watch this. The Bible says the Spirit of God will not always strive with you. You say no. He could go. When God speaks to you, that may be the last opportunity that you have. They brought him to Jesus. His body was healed. His spirit was healed. But you know the greatest thing? Watch how Jesus works. He did it in such a way, down in verse uh, 12. As a result, they were all astounded and they gave glory to God. You see, our God is all about the glory that we can offer up to him. How we can bless his name. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Like no other. Folks, today, our Lord is calling us to be a part of bringing people to Jesus. When we see, we see the need of people and we begin to be involved in the process. And we follow up by doing our part and inviting people where they can hear the word of the Lord. And then God does something extraordinary. And he changes a heart from the inside out. Because of our effort, the battle is won. Today... Without a doubt, there are some people right here in this room that if you were to die, if you, do you remember a couple of years ago before I got here, we had Donald Ray on the floor and we had JT on the floor thinking that they may pass. It can happen just like that. If you were to die in your seat right there and disrupt this service, would you awaken in the arms of of a father expecting you? Or would you be like the rich man and open your eyes at a place called hell? If you don't know, or if you know where you would go, please don't depart this place without finding Jesus. He's here. He loves you. He wants to forgive you your sin. He wants to give you a home in heaven. He wants to give you an abundant life here. If you know the Lord, why in the world would you not want to be on the team that's building his kingdom? That's taking the step to embrace people who need the Lord. 
Why not be a part of the rescue squad? The EMTs. Read a story this week. It says it was on a California bridge that somehow the driver lost control and in an instant the car went over and you had a mom and dad and two children in the car and it, and it landed in a river and the car immediately began to sink and mom and dad were able to get out and the mom was able to lose one of the children. And when they came to the top and saw the other one was, was not up with them, they began to holler and scream and immediately a guy dove off the bridge into the water. Not far behind him was a nurse. Afraid of water, actually. She could swim a little bit, afraid of water, but she dove off the bridge. And they were able to get the boy out of the car, and the time they got to top of the water, she began to work on him, and they got him, and they saved his life. People who had no intent when they got up that morning of, of being a rescuer turned into a life-saving pair. I want to say this to you. If you will see the need of people around you, people you eat lunch with, people who do your hair, people who, who uh, you play golf with, people you hunt with, people you fish with, people you work with, every person you need, meet is in one of two situations. They either know Jesus or they need to know Jesus. And if they need to know him, Johnny White began his ministry here many years ago with this song. You're the only Jesus that some people will ever see. If, they, if you're the one, are they out of luck? Or are they in luck? Let's pray together.